<laughs> Hello. Hey, how's it going? How are you doing? <laughs> I am very well, just kind of... I'm really looking forward to sharing today's episode of Clippings with you guys. We're going to be talking to a good friend of mine, Rochelle Crosby. She is a landscape architect, but she and I both grew up in Albuquerque. Uh, we kind of geek out on plants in the same way, so she lives in plant time in a totally different universe. So I'm excited for you guys to, to be able to join us there in this conversation. So let's get into it. I'm excited because you are clearly the most qualified voice we've ever had on this podcast. Oh. And that's just barely beating out my 11-year-old niece. Um, but, you know, so for the for folks who don't know you by reputation, you trained as a landscape architect Correct. from Rhode Island School of Design. Yes. You now work in... I work for the City Parks Department in Farmington. And more importantly, you helped design my mom's backyard and built just to yep. you know you know let's give let's give the props <laughs> yeah <laughs> and did a fabulous job Thank you. um so let's i mean i would love to start with just learning like what does it mean to be a landscape architect oh yeah yeah okay gosh that's such a huge question um you know what it means to be a landscape architect is like it's a balance between, um, you know, designing and being able to at least draw things to be constructed to like keep people safe. <laughs> okay. Um, but also like thinking about, um, you know, the way people experience things um, or how you're going to limit the experience of things, you know, whether that's a bus stop or <laughs> um, trash receptacles. <laughs> Okay. So, you know, there's there's a lot of kind of mundane things in it. For example, I mean, I'm, I'm working on a parking lot project, you know, um, but then I'm also working on an all abilities park. So it it's a full spectrum of functional things within our public space, but then also, you know, sensory and experiential things. So within that space, how much of that is like plant stuff, garden stuff versus like just straight up cement sidewalks and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So I'm glad you asked that question because I think that's a that's one of the biggest kind of misconceptions that I encounter is that I am I am a plants expert. I'm not. <laughs> Even though you know when we Okay, wait. Put a pause. We need to find a new guest. I know. What? End call. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, especially so, you know, when, when I work on projects that are at the scale of like your mom's space, then I do get to exercise a little bit more of what it's like to plant, you know, certain shrubs or sh certain grasses that will have like a, a more atmospheric feel or, you know, I can play with plants to create buffers or to create screening or to create aroma. You know, I, at that small kind of residential scale, I, I get to play with plants, which is great. But then, you know, if we're talking about larger scale, I mean, there's plants in everything, but, you know, when I'm talking about a civic landscape, you know, that kind of tends to be a little bit more performative based. 
So I need to spec out trees that are going to withstand salt, <laughs> that are going to withstand, um, you know, lots of traffic on the roots. Um, you had a great episode talking about how to encourage roots to grow deep into the soil rather than being superficial. And so, you know, because a lot of our plantings are, are fed by irrigation, sometimes we have superficial root systems, you know? So I kind of think about things differently at a larger municipal scale of, of like I said, kind of more of like a, a high performance. I need the workhorses of plants rather than <laughs> <laughs> these. No show ponies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> rather than sort of like the, the beautiful, you know, uh, supermodels. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. So you were bringing up um, a little bit of kind of like your dad's experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason that I'm excited to kind of talk about that more is that you bring a really different perspective to working with plants, landscape, that sort of thing. Could you tell us a little bit more about kind of your background mm-hmm. and what you bring to these that is different than most people. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I am from the same place as you. (laughs) Um, But specifically, my mom is Pueblo. So we're from Laguna Pueblo, which is about 40 miles west of Albuquerque. And my dad is from South Carolina, like the country. Um, Mm. So what's interesting is like they kind of have similar backgrounds in a way because my dad's people were farmers. That's that's what they did. Yeah. They were agriculturalists. Um, and my mom, well, not recently comes from agricultural people, but Pueblo, that's what we did. We farmed. Yeah. We created farming essentially for the area. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's very interesting to think like, even just like thinking about dealing with water, you know, and like all of the really beautiful irrigated irrigation practices that Pueblos developed to control this super, super sparse resource. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so actually that the biggest thing that I draw from my cultural background is not even necessarily like specifically what like to do with plantings but more so to do with community and sort of like how communities are engaged with the planting or the designing of public space. I was even thinking about how in pop culture and in cultural conversations right now, there's a lot more interest in kind of like indigenous patterns and relationships with nature and things like that. Mm -hmm. One of the things that like I brought with me to the podcast was growing up with my mom who always kind of like not humanized, but like dimensionalized the plants that she was yes. raising, mm-hmm. you know, and like mm-hmm. had a relationship with those plants. Yeah. This one likes this, yeah. this one's so happy, you know, like those types of things. Mm-hmm. I was curious from the, from your own indigenous perspective, from the Laguna Pueblo perspective or just your village, are there things like that that you kind of like learned about, about relationships that you have with plants or anything like that, or like planted spaces mm-hmm. that maybe you took for granted and then once you kind of went out into the white world or predominantly sort of like mainstream world, yeah. you were like, wait, you know, like that surprised you that was different? Yeah, oh man, that's a good question. I mean, so I think, we had we've conversed about this before and I, I had sort of mentioned to you like you know coming from uh 
spending all this time, um, you know, away from home. Uh, that's just what we call it, you know, home. Um, I'm, my brain is trained differently now. Like I, I have gone through these different processes that have affected the way I perceive the world and have, you know, excited in me this like wanting to ask questions and know why things are the way they are. And, and so one of the things that like, <laughs> I think is so annoying to my mom is, is I'm like, well, why is, why do we do it like this? Why do we do it like that? You know? And she's like, stop asking these questions like <laughs> the the importance is not necessarily the explanation it's the practice and so i think it's similar with plantings like you know the the way that we relate to plantings right now is very much um you know corn is still something that's very important to us um and you know we use it in all of our practices and everything that we do you know it's it's an offering it's a blessing it's it's a communication and so i think like or even the cedar tree you know like all of these these things that are sort of they're they're ever present and it's and that's almost the important thing is like not necessarily categorizing the relationship between you know the pueblo person and corn but really just understanding that it's there it's um it doesn't need to be questioned it doesn't need to be understood there's no need to question or necessarily even understand it because it's like maybe a deeper a deeper understanding that you know my being doesn't necessarily tap into it's it's like the understanding that i just get through connecting with my ancestors i don't even know if any of this makes sense but like it's almost just like not even needed to be understood or explained does that make sense <laughs> yeah it does and it's funny because it's like my western brain is like what do you mean exactly. but there's a there's a almost like a like a gardening part of my brain that's just like i get it like like i don't always have a reason for why i pick one plant that i put yes. in a place exactly. or like why sometimes i go out in my garden and i just look at it mm -hmm. and i feel like that's gardening for the day yeah. like sometimes i just go out in my garden and i just sit there yeah and it feels like i did gardening yeah you know yeah. like it's the same as if i like went weeding like sometimes i just need to be out there yes. and like hang out yes and i don't know that i could like qualify it exactly so it's interesting because as you're talking about that it, i i connect to some of that exactly and and i almost feel sometimes like and again this is still my like conditioned mind trying to like give as you mentioned qualify this this relationship mm -hmm. is like I don't need to understand it as myself, as Rochelle, because I've understood it for thousands of years, you know, mm -hmm. and that understanding is just embedded in me and it's just there. And that's that, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, that's cool. Do you bring that type of understanding to the work that you do or even do you bring that into like your own gardening? Because I'd love to talk soon about kind of like how you approach your natural spaces around your house. I think I do. I think I do in the way that I'll segue into my space, which you saw the picture. It's crazy. 
I mean, there's one part, but I love your concept and like it looks beautiful. Like it looks happy, right? Like it's not. Yeah. Like no one's gonna look at that and say it's the Palace of Versailles. But... No. <laughs> well, I'm getting ahead of myself. So describe describe the picture for folks who can't see it. Well, I will say that it is probably about hmm, 80% volunteer based. So yes. what that means is that, you know, so I moved into the space, I moved into this house about four years ago. And um, when I got there, it was this huge lawn, which I was like, definitely no. <laughs> yeah, um, right. No trees, just a poor, you know, um, a, a little like two foot stump of a, actually it was a Colorado blue spruce that was inappropriately planted. And so, mm. you know, it had to be cut down. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, there was nothing there. And so I started with some sunflower seeds and that was it. <laughs> That's awesome. And so, oh man, so the cool thing that happened is I did some sort of like wildflower stuff too because I knew that I wanted one piece of it to be pretty wild, you know, and then the other mm -hmm. piece, I, I sort of just wanted it to be easy to deal with because it's a huge space and I'm like, ah, mm -hmm. I don't want to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. So I knew I just wanted kind of trees in that area, but there's this one little pocket that I was like, go wild, you know. And so I started off with just the sunflower seeds, mammoth sunflowers. So like the um, the flower is probably like 1.5 of your head. <laughs> it's like yeah. huge, you know, they're gorgeous. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and basically what happened is that that attracted the birds, right? And then so they started interacting and eating the seeds and, you know, they had some other seeds on them from messing with some, you know, other stuff down the street and they dropped yeah. that in my space. The next year I get these other kind of like the these other kind of volunteer sunflowers, too. And mm. and it's just been a ripple effect. So now I have like three varieties of sunflowers that wow. only one of which is originally intended for. And um, and it's just this like amazing little network of bees, wasps, birds, like anything and everything, just pollinating, you know, just loving themselves, grubbing out, getting fat <laughs> and continuing the cycle, you know. Yeah. And so like and every year it gets crazier and crazier. And yeah. I, it's to the point where it's a, it's a little wild now. <laughs> I have to <laughs> come in and like clean it out. Um, but I've even, I even have, um, so maybe about two years ago, my dad threw a walnut from his tree in there and it came up. Wow. came up. I have a little baby walnut that's maybe about like 18 inches tall and it's making yeah. it. Yeah. But I mean, now I'm yeah. going to have to move it out of the space because it can't live there. But um, yeah. so, yeah. So I do bring that into my own space. It's been really cool to see, to let the birds and the bees take over and let, mm -hmm. you know, let them decide what's coming up in here. <laughs> it's It's cool because there's almost this. I think a lot of people think like, I don't want to have to take care of my yard. Yeah. So I'm just going to make it grass. Yeah. Because that's the thing that maybe like our culture has said mm -hmm. is easy. Mm -hmm. It's like an expectation. Everybody has a mower in their garage. Everybody uses this kind of fertilizer. Everybody installs a sprinkler system. Yes. Everybody, you know, and so like there's all these things. And what you described is a totally different <laughs> approach to 
I don't want to have to manicure every little piece of this, water every little piece of this. Mm -hmm. And instead, you've allowed nature to do what nature does anyways, which is to tend a space, make it vibrant and diverse and sustainable. Mm -hmm. I think it's so fascinating (laughs) to think about just like allowing spaces to kind of like decide what they want to be rather than you deciding those spaces. Yep. Yep. And then, so what do I have? So, you know, of course, like, what do I get out of it? It's amazing to have the birds and the bees there. Like it's a, it's a whole soundscape in there. But then also, you know, I have these sunflowers that are eight feet tall. So I, my whole entire front porch is screened off. Like I, I do not see the street. (laughs) Right, right, right. And it's also cooler, you know, they help to cool the front part of the house down. Um, So it's just like, it's perfect, you know? I mean, it looks crazy, but I don't think once people kind of understand the function of it, it's like, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense, you know? Yeah, that's cool. That's really inspiring. <laughs> yeah, because you give one thing, it's and it attra- it's an attraction, you know. And then all of a sudden, you've got all the species there, you know, hanging out, spreading the word. I mean, I've <laughs> even spread to my neighbors. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> that's also yeah. You're like you're wilding your entire neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. But it's beautiful flowers, so no complaints. <laughs> yeah. That was Rochelle Crosby, landscape architect, national treasure, and friend to all wild things. Rochelle, thank you so much for joining us on Clippings. If you want to see a picture of Rochelle's sunflower autonomous wild zone, we'll post it on our Instagram. That's at Fresh Clippings. Thank you, everybody, so much for joining us in the garden. We'll see you again soon. Oh, snap, I forgot to mention. So guess what else popped up? Cilantro. <laughs> really? Cilantro popped its ass up. And I was like, <laughs> I was like doing my water and I'm like, what the hell is that? So I ate it and I was like, yeah. that is cilantro. That's <laughs> wild. I could not believe it. And I was like, no, you don't, you shouldn't go there. So I tried to move him. He didn't make it. It was like, oh, they're tough. tough. Yeah. I like, it's weird how like some of the herbs, like you try and rehome them and they're just like, no, I wanted to be there, I'm out. I know, why did you do that? I was perfect. (laughs)